thanks for clicking on this to watch it. Really appreciate you. Please like us and subscribe. Share with us with share us with all your friends. That'd be great. Got a really good talk today with Doc Kanyos. He is a jujitsu friend, a general surgeon. Tells us a little bit about life on the ship as a surgeon, which I thought was really cool. Also, he had a couple setbacks last year. He had COVID, describes the process of getting it. He was one of the early people, kind of the person that everybody said, hey, that I know that one guy, he was kind of that guy. And then coming back from injuries and the martial arts and, and a big job, the whole thing is a great talk, really enjoyed, good friend of mine. Please make sure you're sharing, subscribing, and thanks again for your time. Really appreciate it. Y'all ready for this? Welcome to the Dan DeVerna Podcast, where we talk about business, life, and how to win it both. your name supposed to be pronounced? Canios. Canios. Yeah. Rodolfo Canios. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. I just good. know you as Doc. Everyone knows me as Doc. Yeah. That's Depends like, on what social circles people know me as. Or Hadolfo. Yes. If you're Brazilian. Which is the Brazilian way. If you're, if you're Brazilian, I'd be Hadolfo. Because we met via Brazilians. Yes. And, well, and Canadians. Yes. Kind of. Yes. But Dante calls me Doc. Everyone yeah. else calls me Doc. Yeah. Unless you're Brazilian. And, which I'm not. Or, I don't know if you knew that. Probably. Or if you just train with me, I'm just that, you know, mother effer who does like, or does half guard all the time. Yeah. Well, not okay. anymore. Not anymore. So we, you know, got to know each other through the jujitsu stuff, but mm-hmm. it's an interesting evolution, not just of the relationship, but just getting to know you because mm-hmm. like we started talking one day and so my son Drake is in the Navy mm-hmm. and he's on the USS Roosevelt, which right now I don't know exactly where they're at. I think they're floating somewhere near Guam. Um, and he's on that ship like for the duration because of COVID mm-hmm. and the co- ship got COVID, blah, 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 blah. But you were on it. I was on the, you uh, were in the Navy, yeah. right? Yeah, like, I was in the Navy. So I did two stints in the Navy. So I did three years. So I, when I was in medical school, first two years in, I, you know, did the normal student loans to, to pay for it. And then my brother's like, hey, man, why don't you look into the military? You know, look at the Navy. Hey, you know, I was in the Navy back in the day. Why don't you look into the Navy and see if they can pay for their last two years? So, you know, applied for the scholarship, health profession scholarship program. I got it. They paid for my last two years. And it's always a minimum of three. So um, I did my internship at Bethesda. Um, it was Bethesda back in the day. Now it's Walter Reed um, National Military Medical Center, I think now. Um, and then I did two years as, you know, a GMO, which is kind of like a dock in the box for the Marines down in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. And I did my time for God and country. I got out, started residency. And then once I got into residency, uh, I was like, you know what? I could use a little extra, you know, financial incentive because it's tough as a resident. You work sure. your tail off and, you know, you don't, they don't really pay that much. I think when people work out the numbers. It's ridiculous. I think you like make $5 an hour for the amount mm. of hours that you work considering what you get paid. I mean, you get paid decent money, but you do, you know, you work every, you work for it. it. You for work sure. for it. Yeah. So I, um, I signed back up with the Navy and I think it was called FAP, FAP financial aid program. And so they kind of gave me a stipend, um, and a yearly grant. Um, but because of that, I owed in three and a half years. And so I was at the second time I was in the Navy, I was at Camp Lejeune, um, 
Naval Hospital. Okay. So that was kind of cool. I got to live in California for three and a half years, which is always nice. And then towards the end, as I was getting out, I was stationed on the, uh, the George H.W. Bush. So it was kind of like a gap, called a gap billet, because the general surgeon who was there was leaving uh, because she was going to start her, we call it fellowship training. It's additional training in surgery after five years of general surgery. So she was starting that. And then the surgeon that was going to take her place, she had to take her boards. So after we're done with the residency program, we have to have certain certifications and, you know, you have to be board certified and it involves, you know, taking a written test. And then once you pass your written test, then you're eligible to sit for your oral boards. Basically, you sit in front of a, you know, a, a panel of, you know, one to three surgeons, and then they just grill you on, you know, certain questions just to make sure that they feel you're a safe general surgeon. So I was there for like two months and change. Um, so on the George H.W. Bush, and it was a great experience. I think the highlight of my Navy career is the fact I got to land and take off on the aircraft carrier, which is pretty, pretty sweet. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It wasn't in a jet though. It was a propeller plane. And um, you sit, it's weird because you sit backwards, like you face the rear of the plane. And so imagine when <laughs> it's you're like, like a roller coaster. Yeah. So imagine you're landing <laughs> and you go from like 160 to zero miles per hour in five seconds. Yeah. So that's, that, ima- yeah, that, I, that's, how do you imagine that? Yeah. That's, that's crazy. And then the same thing for the takeoff. Imagine right. from zero to 160 in five seconds. Yeah. Um, takeoff is actually scarier than the landing because when you're coming off the, the runway, there's a period of time when the tail drops. And so, you know, they're, they're rocking you back, you know, forward. Well, I'm going backward because you're facing the rear of the, the rear of the plane and then the, the bottom end drops. And so it's just like, a, That's you know, wild. it's like a scary roller coaster. Yeah. And then, and then after that, then like, you know, 10 seconds after that, the, the, the plane starts to, you know, stabilize out. Um, yeah, I took a picture one time of my face when I was like during the takeoff and yeah, it wasn't a very pleasant looking face. Yeah. So you're, there's a couple things you referenced in there. I want to go back to, mm-hmm. but when you're, what's your response? So you're a general surgeon mm-hmm. now, yes. but is that what you were then? Yes. Okay. So, yeah. So that was what you were when you were on the, the bush. Yeah. What was your, like, what's a typical day look like? Cause that, that yeah. I get that question about what Drake's doing every day. And he doesn't do a great job of describing that, oh, it's, but it'd be more interesting, I think, to hear. So like, people want to know what our military people do. Like so when you're for, out on the ship. So I'm I'm very unique in terms of the Navy because of what I do. I'm a general surgeon, right? And I you know did medical school for four years. I did a general surgery residency for five years. So I have a very specific skill set. What I'm there for, right? I'm there just you know in case you know in case emergency break glass. Right. Someone needs a surgical emergency. And that's why I'm there. Um, that being said, my day is way different because I do have a very specific role that I play. Um, but my best description of what life, at least for me, on the aircraft carrier is is like Groundhog's Day. Like it's the same thing <laughs> over and over again. I wake up. Every morning at five o'clock, wake up, shower, shave. I'm in the wardroom for breakfast around 530. I'm in my office at six, um, six to six thirty ish. I call my wife because one of the nice things about being in medical, because if I have to call for a medevac or if I need a call for, um, you know, I need a consult, say I have like a urologic emergency, I'm not a urologist. So I call, you know, or OB, I get the call to, to you know, get a phone consult. So mm-hmm. I have access to the phone. So it's great. So I call my wife from like six, six thirty. But it was like one o'clock here in the States. So she was never just happy, but she also wasn't too happy because I'd wake her up. <laughs> And then from 6.30 to like 7, we'd have our department meetings. And then from 7, um, 
to about 11-ish is when we would see clinic. But we had a family practice doctor and we had um, a nurse practitioner. So basically it was like you know, your typical you know family doctor, urgent care kind of stuff. You know, once in a while, if someone had like a little cyst or a little bump that needed excised, I would supervise the, the, the corpsman to do that. But that was basically from... Yeah, 7 to 11, and then from 11 to 12.30, I would do a long lunch. 12.30 to 1.30 to 2, I'd take a nap. And then from like 3 to 5, I'd work out. And then I'd be back in for dinner on 5.36. And then I'd sit in my office again from 6 to 7 in case like there were some evening patients that needed to come in. But again, there was nothing I would take care of. And then I was probably playing Xbox from like eight to 10. <laughs> okay. That now we're getting, and the then, and then 10 to five, you know, I would, I would go back to bed again and wake up over and over again. The only difference is Sunday we would have like brunch and you know, it's made to order waffles and who wouldn't want made to order waffles on a yeah, Sunday. So like spritzers and all that. I'm yeah. sure it was very, Oh yes. Yeah, so it was very, very, very posh. Yeah. Very posh. Yeah, very posh. So they almost, never probably had to break the glass, right? No, like I, I did. So the two months and change I was there, I did three operations. Um, I did an inguinal hernia. I did a gallbladder. And then uh, there was a sailor who decided to, you know, swallow a whole sausage, didn't mind chewing it. So he had a food impaction that I had to, you know, <laughs> to get that out. So that was it. That was, that was my emergency. But it's very stressful. If I had to do surgery, I had to go, you know, um, I had to go up to the tower to talk to the captain. Okay. And that's just intimidating itself. I mean, you're in this dark room and, you know, everyone's just focusing, especially when I was, when I was there, cause you know, they received, you know, jets are taken off landing all the time. Yeah. And, you know, when they're receiving jets, they have to be, you know, um, or whatever they're doing, you know, they're all constantly maneuvering. And I would like to think that if I'm doing surgery, they're going to at least try to keep the you know, the carrier still for a period of time. Yeah. So I had to have clearance. Oh, I had to geez, be I like, I had, I had to make sure that, cause I actually had wow. the question. I was like, does this patient really needs to need to have surgery? I'm like, yes, sir. This patient has, you know, acute inflation or gallbladder, you know, needs operation, no doubt. And so like, okay. So, you know, they actually have to put a hold on certain operations if I'm going to be taking someone to surgery, which is kind of crazy. Um, but it's very intimidating because like you're in this dark room and everyone's kind of staring at you. I mean, you just, I feel like, you know, you don't fit in. Like everyone's like, who's, who's this guy? Right. Yeah. Well, it's crazy. Yeah. It's that same idea. Break glass in case of emergency. Yeah. If you're involved, yeah. something's not going well. No. For and, somebody. And, and, and for it's the crazy thing is, is there's a chain of command, right? Any, any military structure, there's a chain of command. So God forbid if the, the commanding officer, the CO goes down, then there's the executive officer, the XO, they take over. And then there's a, you know, a whole hierarchy. I have no one to take my place. So if something, God forbid, happens to the surgeon on the on the on a carrier or any vessel, you're combat ineffective. You can't you can't function. And so um, yeah, that's really frustrating because like there were opportunities. Like for example, there was a time when there was like a British ship that was kind of in our vicinity, and they're offering, hey, anyone want to take um, take tours on this British vessel? I'm like, heck yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm like, sorry, doc, you can't go. You gotta you gotta stay in the boat. So I'm the only person. There's no backup for. So it's, it's a pain. So God forbid, if something happens to the surgeon, they'll have to like rush flight someone else. And that can take several days. Yeah. Um, but even for like the anesthesiologist, we had a, a CRNA. Um, if that, if he went down, then it would be like the oral surgeon. Cause apparently the oral surgeon for a month or so during their training, they get like anesthesia, anesthesia exposure. So even like the anesthesia has a backup, but there's no backup for me. Wow. So that's kind of one of the craziest things. Yeah. That's yeah, that's a big job. I mean, yeah. obviously, 
what you do for a living is a big job anyways. I mean, pretty much every time that you're engaged Mm -hmm. in work, Mm -hmm. somebody's life is extremely affected. And I mean, his life or death is, is a thing often, right? I suppose. Yeah. And typical, I mean, I, I, you know, we'll be trying to get together to go out to dinner or go like, Hey, let's meet up to train. And then I'll call you last minute. Like, Hey man, can't go. I have to, you know, I got to go do emergency surgery. So it happens. I mean, it's a part of the lifestyle and that's, you know, kind of what I accepted when, when I started this journey years and years ago. Yeah. Was that part of like, how did you come about deciding to be a doctor? I mean, is that like a family thing or is that so, like you just decide you're like, oh, the no, funny, gonna- yeah, the funny story I always like to tell people is like, I knew I wanted to be a surgeon when I was six or seven. Then everyone's like, really? Wow. That's kind of cool. Like, that is well, cool. well, that's because my dad told me at that time that, Hey, you're going to be a surgeon. Like, <laughs> All right. Yes, sir. Roger that. I'm going to be a surgeon. And okay. I, I lived that way for the you longest time. That. You know, they, they, they kind of kept me on the straight and narrow. They made sure I studied all the time. And, you know, I, I, you know, very limited. I had a strict curfew, not allowed to date, do anything like that. Um, and so, you know, it was kind of no tone line because that's how we were raised back in the day. Right. So, you know, first generation, um, immigrants, you know, especially, you know, not to only stereotypes, but, you know, Filipino families, they are very big into status. Right. So when they're playing golf or tennis or mahjong, there's always a conversation of, Oh, Hey, you know, little Timmy, he's a, he's a lawyer. Oh yeah. Well, Billy, he's an engineer and he works for GM. And so there was definitely kind of a status that, you know, you would like, you know, you work your tail off so that your, you know, your kids can have a, you know, a good, a good life, a good career. And so I was definitely kind of a, a product of that time, um, you know, growing up and, um, you know, and, I, and I've always wanted to, you know, I, I was that kid who followed my dad around the hospital in rounds when I was growing up and I mm. loved to see his interaction with patients. Um, and you know, just, you know, we were in a small town. We lived in a town of like 15,000 people. So everyone knows everyone in my town. My dad was the, ta- uh, the town surgeon. And so when in school or anyone I bump into it was like, oh man, thank your dad for me. Like he saved my grandmother's life and things like that. And wow. it leaves an impression on you. Like, oh wow, my, you know, my dad's, a, he's a badass. Like, wow, I didn't realize he's so important. And just like any kid, you know, you want to emulate your, your dad. So, um, that was always the goal, you know, and then, you know, I had to find that road myself I mean, that's always what my parents intended for me. And then you find your own path, right? So my path where I decided that's where I wanted to do, you know, I think it was an undergrad, you know, and early in undergrad, you're 18, 19, you have no stresses in the world. I mean, all you have to do is really study and, you know, go to school classes. And, you know, I, I was always a decent student, you know, mm-hmm. you know I was a straight A student in high school, but, you know, undergrad is a, a different beast. Yeah. And so, you know, I was a struggling A, B student, probably more of the, you know, latter. And it's very competitive to get medical school. Sure. And everyone, you know, you're in class with is pre-med and it's very stressful. Um, and so I remember having a talk with my dad and it's like, you know, I don't know if I can do this. This is really competitive. And, you know, um, you know, my grades aren't like I, what they were in high school. And I think the best thing my dad said is like, you know what, whatever makes you happy. Like I'm, I'm fine with that. Um, and that meant a lot, especially for an 18, 19 year old who feel like you have the weight on your shoulders to, you know, carry out what your, you think is your parent's dream for you. Yeah. Um, but the thing, you know, is I found that path on my own because I still volunteered at hospitals and I still got to see the great things that doctors do. And that motivated me. And then I remember too, the summer between my freshman and sophomore year is really instrumental because, um, I think that was the time where I decided, you know what, this is, this is why I want to do it. I was volunteering at the hospital back home where my dad worked and I was taking a patient, um, 
from, you know, she's being discharged. So I was taking the patient from, you know, the hospital floor to her car so that she can go home. And, um, you know, this lady was raving about her doctor and she's like, Oh, he's, he's the best. And you know, I trust him in my life and he's the greatest doctor ever. And she's like, man, but you really remind me of him. Like he's, he's a great guy. And for some reason, like you just, you, you, your demeanor and everything you do is very similar to him. Like, Oh, that's kind of cool. Like who's, who's your doctor? Who's your surgeon? It's like, Oh, it's Dr. Conyers is my surgeon. And I didn't say anything. I didn't, you know, just cause I kind of struck me. Um, that, you know, maybe this is my path. Maybe it is something that, um, I can be good at. I, I can exceed at that. I do have a passion for, you know, it was kind of ingrained with me. Maybe I just come from, you know, good genes, good stock. Um, but ultimately, you know, there's something about my, you know, how I treat people that, you know, makes them feel comfortable to talk to me, makes them feel open to trust me. So, you know, that kind of got me motivated and, and, you know, the rest is history. You know, that was kind of how I decided that, yep, I am on the right path and this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. That's awesome. Cause that's a big job. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a lot of sacrifice of all the sacrifice at the beginning and the ongoing, mm-hmm. like that, like there's always, you're always going to have some way that they're, that they are connected to you, that Mm -hmm. they need you for something to come in and do Mm -hmm. a very particular task, Mm -hmm. which the timing of you getting there is important. And then what you do once you get there is really important. Yeah. And then also too, like says the trust, right? I mean, I'm, I'm basically a complete stranger to the the person that I'm talking to. Yeah. They don't know me from anyone and you know, surgery is a big deal. It's, it's, it's a very traumatic event. Um, and just the fact that they're going to trust me to, to, you know, take out their gallbladder, take out their appendix, you know, take out their, their colon cancer. Um, so, you know, I really take a lot of pride in the fact that, you know, I'll take my time. I don't care if I'm talking to you for half hour, 45 minutes, you know, I want to make sure that you feel comfortable that, you know, one, you know, exactly why you're seeing me, you know, what's the indication? Why are you seeing a surgeon? And number two, you know exactly what kind of operation I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to tell you, am I going to be able to do it laparoscopic with a camera and small instruments and small incisions, or if I have to make a big incision and I'm going to tell you, listen, there's there are risks involved and A, B and C, these are the risks because you know, ultimately I want them comfortable you know, patients always have the final say whether or not they want treatment or not. You can always say, no, I'm just going to watch this or no, no, mm-hmm. I'll, um, I'll, I want to see someone else. That's fine. You don't hurt my feelings. You know, only thing I can do, which I try to be the best at is just give you all the information that I know. And hopefully, um, you know, you take that information and you trust my, you know, my, my recommendations and you trust me that you want to put your life in my hands, um, that you want to, you know, go forward. So it's, it's, I think to me, that's the challenge of surgery is the relationship is the trust that you have to build to the patient, the technical aspect of it. Yes. It takes time to get there. Um, but that's trainable, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I teach residents and I have a passion. I love teaching my residents. Um, but ultimately what I hope that to take from me is when they're watching me talk to patients, when they're watching me, how I interact with patients on rounds, they kind of get that, I, that feeling that, you know, I care about this person. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just not a, you know, you're not someone I'm, you know, I'm making a living off of. You're truly someone that were, however good or bad the outcome goes, that, that means a lot to me. And I, and I take it to heart how things, how things turn out. That's awesome. So, we know we have a common hobby, 
right? Uh, it's how we met. It's like a life more. It's not it's, a thing. It's it has a little life. bit of a lifestyle to it. So let's speak to how you find balance with like such a big job and mm-hmm. such a big other lifestyle thing. Yeah. And oh, by the way, don't let's not forget that we have a, a life at home with a with some with three people that are extremely yeah I'm, I'm um, absolutely extremely reliant no, I mean, upon you balance right? is probably one of the hardest things to do right yeah balance in your professional life balance in the the things in your life that bring you your family obviously is is your 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 anchor your cornerstone that keeps you grounded but then you also have something too that's your personal fulfillment so for me there's that those three things right you train martial arts for a long time. And it's hard to describe, but there's something about martial arts that really culminates really collectively and almost um, kind of encompasses and really makes the everything else in your life make sense. Mm-hmm. If that, you know, if you're understanding. So um, I, I've done different martial arts throughout my, my life. And, you know, I, we do Brazilian jiu-jitsu together. And there's something about just the... the the um, the mental challenges in addition to the physical challenge that everything relates. How I approach jujitsu is the same way that I approach surgery is the same way I approach family. Um, and it's kind of hard to describe unless you do it, right? Um, you know, anytime you're in a stressful situation, martial arts trains you, your jujitsu trains you to accept being uncomfortable, accept that challenge, accept that it's got, not going to be a, you know, it's going to be a win situation. Actually, most time it's going to be a no win situation. You know, you're probably going to lose very badly, but you put things in perspective and you learn about it and you make yourself better. And you're constantly trying to push and push and push to do better. It's almost an unattainable goal, but you're always pushing yourself to do better. You know, get that next level, get that next peak surgery the same way. I don't feel like I am a seasoned surgeon and I'm the best at what I do. No, I think I can do better. Mm-hmm. I, you know, just like after we roll, I'm talking to you about it. You know what? I, I should have grabbed your pan leg there. I should have put a hook in. I should have swept you. Same thing with surgery. Now that was a little bit of a challenging case. What if I would have done this? What if I would have put my hands here? What if I would have attracted here? Um, I'm constantly pushing myself and, you know, especially working with residents, I push myself even more because again, I want, not only do I want to be a, you know, a, a great surgeon, I also want to be a great teacher. And so, you know, not only do I feel like I have, I'm constantly trying to refine my technique to be a better surgeon, but I'm also trying to constantly refine myself in terms of how I teach my residents to do things so that they can understand it. You know, just like when we talk, you know, how I verbalize, all right, dude, if you want to do this sweep, this, your leg has to be here. You have to position your hips here. Your arm has to be here. And that's kind of the same thing when I do, when I teach surgery, it's like, okay, make sure your arms are relaxed. Make sure your hand is here. Make sure when you're moving, you move it this way and you move everything in one motion. You don't you know nothing choppy. Make yeah. sure everything is always centered. So do you feel like there's like kind of a common baseline of how you like the process, if you will, Absolutely. for instructing? Absolutely. Because you teach martial arts as well. You mm-hmm. teach Brazilian jiu-jitsu at least once a week. Mm-hmm. And then also besides that, when we have other opportunities, you're a, you're a higher rank guy. So people are looking up to you. Mm-hmm. Like obviously you're being looked up to as the being in charge of the residents, but you're also being looked at in being in charge, not in charge all the time, but just somebody that's a higher rank has been doing this for a while and takes it very serious. So you feel like that's like, Hey, I basically apply the same rules, it is, it is. the same setup yeah. for, for both of these well, things. Cause one's absolutely. really serious and mm-hmm. the other 
you know, hopefully you never have to use it, mm-hmm. but it's, it can be. it's a, it could be very serious. You could really hurt somebody or get yeah. hurt. Well, we know like right? when we roll together, right? What is it always about? It's about a rhythm. It's about a flow. It's about a pattern. And that's kind of similar with surgery. When I, when I teach is like, it's about a rhythm. It's with breath. It's your, it's your movement. Your movements aren't jerky. It's small movements. It's small adjustments. And that's like jujitsu. It's perfectly, that's exactly what jujitsu is. Mm-hmm. Jujitsu is about small adjustments, trying to find the, the space to go into so that you can get out of a tough situation. Surgery is no different. You're trying to new micro adjustment, micro movements to get to a, a plane where you can dissect out out the you know disease better it's it's everything to me is just interconnected and that's why you know jiu-jitsu is where i found that the, the passion i found for martial arts but i really can be applied to any martial art really it's just you know you got to find the, the balance and you have to find you know sort of that harmony well where one thing affects everything in your life and it's almost like one and the same you know i can talk to you the same passion and the same approach to surgery as i do with jujitsu. Um, so, you know, again, that's, that's how I balance work and sort of the passion I have with training is because, you know, they're, they're both, once they're in harmony, it like my life seems simple, like life makes sense. Yeah. I can apply anything that I do with my work and I can apply really anything I can do with jujitsu makes sense. Yeah. Family's a little harder. <laughs> I, can't, well, I can't treat, I can't treat family for the same way. Family's a little, you know, a little, little more challenging. Um, but again, I think the family part for me is just the blessing about it because again, they're, they're my anchor. They're my rock. So no matter, you know, uh, Amanda, my wife is very supportive of me and she knows that, you know, I love my work and I can be called away and taken away from, you know, family dinners, date nights and things like that. And she's understanding because she's very supportive. Um, and, and she knows that when I do have those small windows of opportunity to be with the family, yeah, then I'm going to be there and, you know, I'm, I'm committed to being there and my, my, my mind is there while I'm there, but she also knows that at a moment's notice, I potentially can be taken away. So, um, super important to have that, that balance. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very understanding wife, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and that's part of, I suppose when, when you guys got married, like that's part of your, ex- she's accepting that, but that's like a big, like, that's a big deal yeah. to, to say that, that I'm, I'm signing on. I mean, the Navy thing to begin with at the beginning, like, yeah. like, I don't know how long you guys were married before that, but going away on the ship, oh, that's, that's a big commitment. Yeah. That was like definitely, for, that was, for, you, at the very least you're fairly newly married. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I said, you know, it's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, again, anytime, um, you know, you're, you're away from your family for an extended period of time is, is tough. It totally is. Yeah. Um, so I, I then, much rather, I much rather be it on this side as a surgeon because knock on wood for the most part, you know, I'm not in a active war zone. Yeah. So then the other thing is when you're getting, being away from things you love, mm-hmm. like, let's talk about uh, like a couple things, like one would be COVID. Mm-hmm. So th- you got it. Yeah. And maybe talk a little bit about that, but yeah. then that took you away from everything everything yeah. like you're not allowed to be around your family mm-hmm. not allowed to be around uh work and not allowed to do jujitsu yeah. so like literally put you in a vacuum where you're away from all of it yeah actually march 18th so watch march 18th was my one year anniversary of when i got covid and that was a crazy time you know that was probably kind of the rock bottom of my life um and i remember very vividly because march 18th was a wednesday i was doing great i woke up i was in great mood I always have a resident clinic every morning on Wednesday and, you know, brought donuts, hanging out, just, you know, smoking and joking with residents. We had, I uh, had some meetings in the afternoon. I was feeling fine. And then I remember really vividly at four o'clock was when I came home 
it hit me where I just had just, you know, fevers and chills that just felt really just run down. Um, and I just wasn't getting any better. So I called my office and, you know, Hey, you know, Darcy, Darcy's like my, my work wife. She's my office manager. Besides my Amanda, she, she runs the other half of my life. And, uh, I was like, Darcy, you got to cancel everything on Thursday. I'm just not feeling well, you know, reschedule my patients, you know, reschedule my, um, you know, my clinic and everything like that. And, uh, you know, wasn't getting any better. And through the course of five days, right. So I got sick on a Wednesday and then, you know, through the weekend I started, you know, fevers wouldn't break, just constant fevers, constant rundown. It was getting to the point where I was getting kind of lightheaded. And, um, I started having challenge, like difficulty breathing. Like my chest was tight and I couldn't sleep on my back. Like I would wake up in the middle of the night, like stop breathing because I just had that hard time breathing. And we should establish like, so anybody that isn't familiar with jujitsu, uh, if you do jujitsu, you're in shape. Yeah, like we're not, not talking about some, no, no, somebody that's not in shape. Yeah. Like you're, you're in probably in your age group, top 10% for sure. Yeah. I mean, we have, and, we have great, yeah. you know, our, our gas tanks are, are amazing when we roll. Yeah. Because we do five minute you know, rounds and the five minute rounds, I mean, you're at a hundred percent all the time. Yeah. And you, five no, minutes of you and another yeah. large human being, yeah. usually larger than you in yeah. our case, that's not wanting you to do the things to them that yeah. you're you trying are to kill trying other. to do to you. Yeah. We're trying yeah, to kill each other. You're trying to kill your friends. Yeah. Five, five minutes level. of just max effort all around. So yeah, I've, you know, I, and, and, and kind of going back as a side, I mean, jujitsu is one of those things that you do it because I want to get in better shape. And then the more you like get addicted to jujitsu, it's like, you know what? I want to be better in shape to do jujitsu. So in, in addition to rolling and training, I'm going to do cardio. I'm going to do weights. So I felt like, you know, yeah, I was in great shape, but yeah, it was tough. I mean, it was scary. Like I almost didn't want to go to sleep because I had that sensation like if I close my eyes, I'm going to stop breathing and it's going to wake me up. And then I found out like, you know, wow. I was, I was self-proning myself. Yeah. And I would sleep in my stomach, which, you know, it's like called, you know, self-proning. So it just kind of helps you, you know, aerate your lungs and stuff better. It's more critical care than I care to get into, but, um, it was tough. And so, and the challenging thing, and, and I'm in a way better place mentally now than I probably was, you know, a year ago is because when, when I got sick is when I think DeWine, not that f- you know, far ahead, maybe a week or so, we kind of started closing things down and COVID was in the news, but you know, we're on our little bubble of Toledo. I'm like, Oh, is this really going to reach us or not? Right. And the challenge is no one had answers. So I knew something was wrong. Something was not right. This is not your typical flu. This is not like your typical like pneumonia, like something's literally going wrong. And, you know, when I call the hotline, you know, they had the questions they asked were appropriate at the time with the knowledge that they knew at that time. Nowadays, it's way different. There, There's a lot more of, you know, that clinical suspicion of, oh, okay, you have COVID, you have this, 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 and this. Before it was, did you travel and did you have any contact? And that was it. And so, you know, people didn't think much of it. And so five days went by and I was kind of like my, my rock bottom where, uh, you know, I just, I wasn't feeling any better. And then, um, under the, uh, advisement of a, a colleague of mine, she's like, Hey, once you go to the ER, let's get you tested. And even still, when I went to the ER, they weren't too concerned with me. Mm-hmm. And until they got my chest x-ray and they saw that I had like, you know, bilateral pneumonia. So both my lungs were just not, not good at all. And the scary part at that time is the the way we treat it is way different now than it was back then. There really wasn't a lot of strategies. We're just kind of shooting from the hip, how we took care of it. Yeah. And you know, if you ever got to the point where you're intubated, right, you needed a machine to help you breathe. It's pretty much game over. There was not much coming back from that. And I remember very vividly that they're like, you know what, 
even though you don't look that bad, your x-ray is very concerning to us. We think you should come in the hospital. And it's right there, because my wife wasn't even allowed to be in the same room. We were actually separated. She was in one room, kind of on lockdown. I was in another room. So even the time when I was in the ER being evaluated was scary because I couldn't even see my wife. And then the thought that I was going to be isolated, I'm not going to have any family members, and I'm likely probably going to die if I, this progresses. Um, in my mind, I'm like, you know, um, I'm just going to go home and die. I'm, I'm okay with that. So, uh, yeah. Wow. Oh yeah. I, I, it was, it was, That's it was a dark moment. It, was, it, it is. And it's probably the lowest and you've known me for, you know, a short period of time, but you know me, I'm a very upbeat guy. Yeah, for There's, sure. There's not a lot of things that if anything, That's not something I can imagine yeah. you telling yourself. Yeah. It, 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 was, it was horrible. Me. So, um, two of my best friends still who I met in the Navy, they're surgeons and we text each other. They're like, Hey man, you should go on, you know, at the time, you know, again, all the literature and studies are still new. There was still a lot of speculation on what's going to work. They're like, you should go on the, you know, the uh, hydroxychloroquine, which, you know, a very controversial drug. So it was a cocktail. It was hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, and zinc. And so I'm like, okay, well, you know, dude, I'm ready to throw a Hail Mary. Like, this is scary. Um, I feel like this is, this is not going to go well. Let me just see. So I, you know, I was able to, to talk to a colleague and she was able to, to prescribe me that cocktail and, you know, fine. Yeah. I'm a surgeon. I'm in medicine. Yes. I believe in evidence-based, right. You know, we do studies to kind of confirm, yes, this is the appropriate treatment. Um, and I know a lot of things out there that was supporting that, that treatment of using that anti-malarial was, you know, very anecdotal. Um, but I will say that two days into that cocktail, it's a five day course, like my fever's broke and I can start breathing again. Mm. Um, and then that's probably, meaningful. Yeah. And then at least then when I got to that end, that five day course, um, I was feeling great. I mean, it was, it was significant 180 improvement. So again, I know a lot of literature and stuff was, you know, not very supportive of it, but all I can speak of is my experience. And, you know, I think, um, within two weeks after I got better, um, I got my lungs back in the sense that I was like pushing myself again, doing my cardio. And then another week and a half after my lungs came back, my legs came back. So, you know, so shape wise. And, you know, again, I think I'm hoping I was, you know, I'm young ish, you know, I'm kind of healthy ish that that kind of helped me. Um, yeah, so, for sure. Right? But the, the, the challenge. So that was always the scary part. And then, like you said, the isolation of it. So it took me six weeks to have so at the time, in order to be cleared to uh, you know get out of your own quarantine to go back to work, especially for me being with patients, I had to have two positive, sorry, two negative tests, um, and it took um, eight of them to get my two negative tests so that I can go back to work. Wow! So I don't eight, eight yeah, eight, yeah, eight tests. So about eight weeks, eight Jeez. tests. And it took six to eight weeks around there. So the challenge is obviously I don't want to get my family sick, and I don't know how you know thank the Lord that they didn't because we tried to isolate ourselves, but my wife's trying to take care of me mm-hmm. and she's trying to take tend to the kids. So, you know, thank God that she didn't get sick. So, you know, I'm basically either in the basement or I'm in my office at home by myself, just hanging out. You know, I can hear the kids and, you know, it's really frustrating because, you know, the, you know Sophie's telling Amanda, like, oh, I miss, you know, I miss, you know, being able to hug dad. Like I want to give dad a hug. And that, that just, you know, anything like that, it's going to crush you. Yeah. Um, so you have no contact really with your family. Um, you know, I really didn't have any contact with anyone at work. Um, and then you just sitting there isolated, you know, that's all you did. I mean, it's yeah. every day I wake up, I, you know, I work out and then I just sit in my office the whole day, 
you know, do whatever I can. I mean, there are, thank God there was like meetings and stuff I can do through zoom that kind of mm-hmm. occupied my time, but it was tough. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, when I finally did get my negative tests and when things started opening up, so even in May and June, May, April, June is when they started closing down elective cases. So not emergency cases. So if, you know, if you have a hernia that needs to be fixed, that's elective cases. So there was nothing really for me to do. But even when things opened up in July, when I was able to go back to work, um, there was a lot of anxiety because for the longest time, you know, I didn't know how people were going to accept me back in the hospital. You know, are people going to be freaked out because I was sick and, you know, they don't want to be around me? Yeah. Um, You know, they're... You know, yeah, exactly. Well, for the longest time, and you know, you you can attest to this. You know, at that period of time when I got sick, if you would ask anybody, "Hey, man, do you know anyone who has COVID?" and you're going to say, "Yeah, I know a guy," and like for a lot of social circles, I was that guy. Yeah, for my circle, you were that guy. There were many circles. Every every social circle that I know, and my my wife knows, and even you knew, you know a lot of people. I I was that one guy. And yeah. that to me was crazy to very think short about list. that. Yeah. You know, very short list. So um, it was just a lot of anxiety about how I was going to be received. You know, are, yeah. are, is, are the OR staff, are they going to be accepted of me to come back? Are my residents going to feel safe to, you know, for me to work with them? Um, so that was a lot. That was tough, yeah. you know. And then, you know, so that was just the, the, the emotional anguish was, was tough. And I think, I think slowly I was getting better in August <laughs> and then August, that's when I broke my ankle. <laughs> so that's where I will, I kind of wanted to pivot into that. Yeah. So one of the things I get as a martial artist with what's considered to be a kind of a big job and mm-hmm. you're the same, like you kind of have a big job and, and people say, well, what, you know, a, you're getting older. Why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. And B, like, how do you, like, what is your purpose? Cause I know I have a very distinct purpose with my martial arts. Mm-hmm. Like I, I know how I feel about that, but you came back to jujitsu and yeah. you could, mm-hmm. and then pretty short order from there, you broke your ankle, yeah. which isn't the first time you've ever been hurt. Like no, well, we, if yeah. we're doing that type of sport, you're expect getting it. hurt. You expect it's an just injury. part of the process. Yeah, any type of combat but, sport. But why do you keep coming back to it? Like, cause I get that question. Like, well, yeah, you're walking a little funny. Yeah. Well, this happened. I had a 300 pound dude on me today, Yeah, you know, and people are like, what, what, what do you mean? Like they don't put you in with the other old people, mm-hmm. like and they don't put you with people your size. And, and so, yeah, like we're, we're literally grappling on some level for our lives. Although with our friends, mm-hmm. with people that are, are sometimes twice our size or sometimes usually half our age or my age at least. I mean, just like anything else, (laughs) it's when you find an art, a pastime hobby that helps you like make sense of life. If that, that, yeah, that's the best way to say it. makes sense to me. Um, You just, you don't want to step away from it. Ultimately, yes, I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to be, I'm not a competitor, right? You know, we have no illusions. We're not going to be, you know, gold medalist world champs in jujitsu. I, I, I'm, I'm accepting of that. But what I do have a passion for and I do want to do down the road is I would like to teach. You know, I'm at a level where I know like a, a small skill set of techniques I can teach, but I want to be like Dante. You know, I want to be like the guys who inspired me to step on the mats in the first place. I want to be like that, um, you know, sort of be that mentor, be that inspiration for someone to, again, every day was always reasons why we can take a break, 
you know, long day at work. I'm tired, didn't sleep last night. I didn't get a chance to eat lunch. There's always excuses. Um, but does someone, does someone to see us roll and have the enthusiasm, we're smiling, we're having a great time to motivate them. Like, you know what? Yeah, I didn't feel like training, but you know, Dan's going to be there. Doc's going to be there. Yeah, this is going to be a fun class. I'm going to do that. So I enjoy it. Injuries happen. You do any type of physical sport, combat sport, you're going to have injury. Most of the time, it's usually what you tweak your shoulder, you tweak your knee, maybe, uh, you know, broken, broken finger, broken toe. Uh, but I broke my ankle, which in the jiu-jitsu world, surprisingly, is not that common. You don't, you know, you don't see long bone injuries in jiu-jitsu. Um, and that was just a freak accident where, you know, someone was taking me down and I just planted my foot wrong and his shin landed on my ankle. And, you know, next thing I know, I felt my ankle 90 degrees in a direction that it doesn't want to be. Um, and that was tough because I feel like, man, I just got over COVID. Like physically, I'm finally back to where I was before COVID. Mentally, I'm in a good space because I'm back to work, right? I'm back to work. I feel like people are accepting me again, you know, almost to the point like, oh, they miss me. Yeah. Like, I, well, hey, you're doing. You you're were doing, missed for yeah. sure. And so like, man, I'm, mentally, I'm in a good space. Physically, I'm back in a good space. And then to have this another little like roadblock, you know, um, stepping stone or whatever, you just, just kind of kill you again. Um, so that was tough. You know, that was another maybe what, two and a half weeks while I was out of commission. I couldn't do anything. Right. Um, you know, I couldn't operate obviously. Now, one thing that I do is, you know, I do do robotic surgery. So laparoscopic surgery with a robotic platform. It's not like I push a button and walk away. No, I still operate. I still control the functions of my instruments, but I can do it at a console, you know, about 10 feet away from the patient in a seated position. So that was nice because the vast majority of my cases, I can sit down and I can still operate. You know, I have residents to make the incisions, put the ports in and things like that. And then, you know, I can, my you know injury didn't hinder me yeah. for the bulk of my practice, which is, which is nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just two pretty major events to happen in one year is, is tough. And, you know, it took me several months to kind of mentally, you know, physically, physical is not a problem. You know, we, we train now all, uh, regularly all the time. Physically I'm back. My yep. ankle's strong again. I'm, I'm getting, you know, dusting the, ru the rust off of, of my technique and, you know, getting my, my lungs and my legs back. Um, but just mentally, like you're scared, right? You just don't want to like, you know, I want to train. I love training, but um, let me go well, a little start, slow. You're you're probably obser more observant to things you should have been more observant yeah. to all along. Mm -hmm. Like I, I feel the same way. I'm very... You know, I love the art of jujitsu and the practice. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, you're coming up on doing a competition. I'm like, I, you know, the probability of me getting hurt in a competition seems way higher than mm -hmm. competition than than rolling with you. I'm, I mean, I'm just not getting hurt rolling with you, mm -hmm. like unless something really weird happens. Yeah, but we're we're very conscious about so, how our body positions and, yeah. and how much force. I think part of my, I don't know, my mental road to rehab is, um, you know, I don't want to be scared anymore. Yeah. Like I want to live my life again. I want to be confident of things that I do. I want to push myself. Right. Um, I feel like, I think one of the things that I became to light being sick and then being injured is I'm, I'm very comfortable being comfortable. And if things seem like it's going to be a little bit of work or how about even things that I may not be successful at, yeah. The easy, the easy road to take is like, you know what, if I don't do it, then you know what, I don't have to worry about it because, you know, failure is 
way, it's way not going to happen in your daily life. Yeah, right. Exactly. Your normal. But it, but even anything you do, you're going to have successes. You're going to have things that maybe not turn out as you would like them. But you know, the easy road is if I just don't pursue something then, you know, I don't have to worry about ever being disappointed. I know it's kind of a weird, bad way to say it, but I'm, I'm trying to move past that. I'm trying to push myself to like get out of that comfort zone and do things that I'm not comfortable with because, yeah. you know, again, I think that's what came to light in this last year is like, I was way too comfortable. Um, and you know what? You only live once, right? I mean, that's it. You know, God willing, God blessing that I was able to make it through the year, but you only leave once. I'm not going to be scared anymore. Yeah. I'm going to try, I'm going to try to do different things. You know, I'm not going to compete all the time because, you know, obviously, you know, work in life and family stuff, but, um, I'm not going to have that like, well, I don't know. I'm not that good yet, or I don't know how I'll do. And, you know, worry about those things and I'm just going to do it. And That's I'm going to, I'm going to take those lessons that I learned. And if I lose, then fine. I'm, I'm there to learn. There's something that I can improve on so that that doesn't happen again. Um, but I guess the, the, the flip side is if, well, what if I do well and what yeah. if I win? Well, no matter what you're winning, like mm -hmm. you showing up is winning yeah. from my perspective. Like I think, you know, coming back from COVID coming back from like, having, like having a big job, having a lot of responsibility and having a place that's, you know, the neat thing about when I whether we're on the mat together or you're with somebody else in a competition, like you're there, mm -hmm. you're present. Like yeah. There is no way that you can be anywhere else. No. Like you could hurt yourself, get hurt or hurt someone else. And none of those things are happening. So we know that you're very present when you're with, Oh, you're locked on. Absolutely. You're Absolutely. And that's probably the biggest blessing in my mind mm -hmm. to the martial arts is no matter what happened. And, and, and I, I, was groomed in a karate style with sensei hurt sellers, but we would always bow in. Mm -hmm. And I always like, I think he explained it one time and I just took to it. You have all these responsibilities. And when you bow, they just kind of fall off. Yeah. You leave them at the door. And if you decide to pick them back up and take them back out with you, that's great. And sometimes you don't have to, like there might've been something you're worried about that you hadn't thought of in that whole hour. Mm -hmm. And now, Ah, yeah. we'll, we'll just not worry about, it. we're not, I'm not going to pick that, that one up and bring it with me. It's so that that's being locked cool. on. And it's funny because you know, I, was, I was talking to my wife about it the other day and, you know, I don't know if she really appreciated the comment, but I was like, sweetie, like, it doesn't matter how bad of a day that I have. There are two things that will immediately make me feel better. One is operating, one is doing my job and surgery. And then number two is doing jujitsu. Um, you know, last week, whatever, had some tough meetings, just it was a challenging day and um, I was doing kind of a, like a laparoscopic a skills lab and just the fact that I was engaged myself like I was locked on like all that stress all that just anxiety just melted away and I was like in the moment of just okay I'm just practicing I'm just getting my hands loose to practicing getting practice and it's just you know you realize like god I love this yeah like, god this is where I, this is where I'm 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 myself I'm me I'm happy I'm like in the zone and the same thing on the mat you know you can go in any type of day of the training and you have anxiety because, oh man, who am I going to roll with? Am I going to get crushed? And then once you're there, you know, once that, once that buzzer goes off and, and, you know, you slap and you bump fist and that gets on, 
I got it. It's, it's like the best feeling in the world. I mean, even to get crushed, the fact that yeah. you're like engaged and your mind is just focused on, you know, one purpose, one, you know, one goal. It's just so, you know, so relieving and so just, you know, you know, mentally fulfilling. And Such that's, a big deal. I don't know. And I guess, you know, call me an adrenaline junkie in that sense, but like, it's, it's just amazing. Like those two things I have found that no matter how I'm feeling almost instantaneously, when I'm locked on, it's like, wow. Yeah. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm in my place. I'm in my element. I, I can't be beat. I'm just, you can't, you can't break me. Right. I'm, I'm here in the moment. That's awesome. Good man. Well, thanks for your time. No, I appreciate our time me. goes pretty quick. Yeah. We start talking about all the things we love, you yeah. know, it's pretty cool. So well, I appreciate amazing, the time. I know absolutely. how busy you are. No, no, absolutely. And again, I think, you know, I think one of the best gifts of jujitsu is I get to meet great people, right? Yeah. If it wasn't for training, I never would have met. That's right. We never, sure. never would have become like, you know, great friends. You never friends. would have been blessed with knowing. It's <laughs> awesome. So thanks a lot. Appreciate all right, it. Anytime, man. We'll Thank talk you. soon. I'm sure. Absolutely. See you on the mats. All righty. Products and services using the following business names: Great Financial Partners, Insurance and Financial Services, Ameritas Investment Company (LLC), AIC, Member FINRA, SIPC, Security Investments, Ameritas Advisory Services, AAS Investment Advisory Services, AIC and AAS are not affiliated with Great Financial Partners. Products and services are limited to residents of states where the representative is registered. This is not offer securities in any jurisdiction, nor is it specifically directed to a resident of any jurisdiction. As with any security, request a prospectus from your representative. Read carefully before you invest or send money. The representative will contact you to provide request information. Representative of AIC and AAS do not provide legal or tax advice. Please consult your tax advisor or attorney regarding the situation. Whew. Thanks for watching.